Mark chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 24, and I'm going to read at the end of verse 37. These are the words of our Lord. Jesus says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Pray with me. Uh, God, I pray that uh, today as we gather together, this small, intimate group of people that we get to share um, your word with, God, I pray that you would bind us together with your word, that you would place your son Jesus in the center of this time, and uh, that his words to us, his warning to us, um, his encouragement to us uh, would be what grows our hearts, helps us to understand more and more how it is we can properly anticipate uh, the return of our King. Um, I pray that this season of Advent, as we relive the anticipation of Israel's Messiah and the birth of your son Jesus, um, that this would stoke us all the more to anticipate when you will come a second and final time. Uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time, for these people, for your spirit would be with us, uh, enabling us to understand you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so it is the, the beginning of Advent, a season of anticipation, which has been observed by Christians for centuries all over the world. Uh, the word Advent doesn't actually mean waiting. It doesn't mean counting down the days. Advent actually means arrival. It means that he's here. It means for us, we can celebrate that the Lord came. He came. Not only to our place, not only to our world, but he came in our place. The incarnation of Christ, which is a word that just means the enfleshment when that internal, immortal creator of the whole universe took on this human flesh and inhabited the world that he created ultimately by being born in the same messy, vulnerable way that every person and every newborn has been born. It is the single greatest and most mysterious miracle. The church is right then to want to commemorate this event and to make a season out of it, not just a single day. So we celebrate the arrival of King Jesus with this season of Advent, which is a season of reflection and repentance and expectation. But Advent is not only a time 
for reflection on the past, but it's also a forward-looking season. Christians use this time to contemplate the promise of Christ's second advent, that he's coming again. This is a season of anticipation, but it's not because we're simply trying to relive Israel's anticipation of the Messiah. Because this season reminds us that we are currently, right now, anticipating the arrival, the advent of our King. Every day for us is Advent. We're already anticipating in our house. I think that we've got the whole um, real meaning of Christmas thing covered, right? It's not about the presents and it's not about all that stuff. And Santa, it's about the birth of our Savior, which is a hard thing to do because 99% or more of all the marketing and messaging, everything that we get pumped into our brains and our minds, our kids' minds, um, is not helping that message at all is trying to make it about other things. But I think we're doing as best we can to make it true about the true meaning of Christmas. What I don't think we've done is I don't know that we've always gotten the true meaning of Advent right in our house. I don't know that we've infused the season of anticipation with the real anticipation that we are living in, which is the anticipation of Christ's return, that he's actually going to come. Advent, arguably, is far more about stoking our anticipation for Jesus' second return than it is about reliving and commemorating his first, his first coming. And so I just want to spend some time um, in this passage here in Mark and in a few other places, I just want to spend some time considering, um, one, the reality that Jesus is coming, uh, the reason that Jesus is coming, um, and then quickly what, what we should do about it. And in the end, I think we're going to see that the reality of Jesus coming is a celebration, but it's a, it's a sobering celebration. And it's a sobering celebration, really, for those who are ready and are prepared. So first, just the reality that he is coming. I just want you to listen again to that uh, passage that uh, Brad read for us in Acts, at least a few of these verses. Acts 1, uh, verses 9 to 11. Jesus said after he had, so this is after his, uh, his um, uh, resurrection from the dead. He's revealed himself to his disciples. After he had said this, he was taken up as they're watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And he rose up into the sky, right? While he was going, they were standing there gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? It's an interesting question. I probably would have been standing there myself. They said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So we, um, as part of our statement of faith, essentially, at, at BGC. We believe in the personal, visible, bodily return of the Lord Jesus. Yes, that sounds kind of crazy, almost a little too crazy, but we already believe that God came once and he arrived like every other human, right, and was born of a Virgin Mary. We already believe these things, so it's, it's not a stretch then to say that he's going to come back. He ascended into the clouds while the disciples were watching. And it says, even as according to the angels, that he's going to come back in the same way that he went. Now, this is not necessarily a statement of faith for BGC. Uh, and I'm not the final word on these things, obviously. Uh, but I believe that Jesus' physical body still bears the scars of his crucifixion. How else would he have presented himself to Thomas after he had rose from the dead? Look at my scars. Look at the holes. Look at the wounds in my side. And that actually there might not be anything more precious and more beautiful about Jesus than those scars. And a day is going to come when somewhere above the earth, somewhere, 
I, if I were guessing, I'd say Jerusalem. Just a shot in the dark, I guess. The nail-scarred soles of Jesus' enfleshed feet are going to drop beneath the cloud cover, and he's going to arrive. Sound crazy enough to you? I mean, it sounds crazy to me to say. He arrived once like a human, born like all of us, and he's going to arrive a second time like a creator, riding on the clouds. This is what we believe. Mark 13, 26 says, They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and he will gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It says Jesus will be seen. He'll be seen. Now there's a lot of differing views and strange details to be debated regarding the second coming of Christ. We're not going to get into all those things or settle all those questions. Um, if you're familiar with the Left Behind series, which I read thoroughly when I was in middle school, popularized this view that there will be some sort of secret stealth rapture that's going to steal uh, Christians away before things get really bad. Um, now, this is not my view. Here it says, Jesus, uh, Jesus says that when the Son of Man comes, it will be after a tribulation, which those who, those who believe in a, in a rapture um, believe in it almost primarily because of it being a pr before a tribulation. Essentially that God would um, not allow for his people to go through the worst of, of judgment. That's, I say that's primarily where that comes from. And I'm not saying that they're not thoughtful or they don't have texts, that kind of stuff. It says here that when, when the Son of Man returns, it will be after a tribulation. And it says specifically that he will be seen. And he'll be seen in the clouds. And it'll be powerful and glorious. All these things will be witnessed. If you are familiar with 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18, it says this. Paul says, For we say this to you, by a word from the Lord. So he's saying, this is from God. This isn't just Paul's opinion. It's from God. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The word is actually something like a, like a war cry. With the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay? The first sermon I actually ever preached, uh, I preached to a bunch of high school kids, um, and I was asked to give a deathbed sermon. They kind of lined up a few of us teachers and said, what was, what's the sermon you would preach on your deathbed? You got one last word. And I hadn't preached any sermons. <laughs> preaching my first one was going to be my deathbed sermon. I, don't, I didn't know how to deal with that. But I ended up preaching on this passage in Thessalonians. And it was just really simple reality that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Think about those three words. Consider how wonderful, how exciting, how terrifying, how beautiful, how mysterious, how otherworldly, how absurd that is to say. Jesus, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, is coming. He lives enthroned in heaven and he's going to come. That's what we believe. And I, I don't know what the sermon, I don't know how good the sermon was. I think I said, I think I said, Jesus is coming. It was like a Francis Chan sermon. It was like, you just say something really simple and then just go like, <laughs> do you get it? You know, come on. And that's essentially what it was. Um, I actually heard a story about a teacher in California, and I can't remember if this is a friend of ours or just a, a story of a friend, a legend of something that was happening there. But um, 
a teacher in California who had some connections in the basketball world. I think this sounds like a family story from California. Um, and he had somehow convinced his students um, that he knew and had arranged for Shaquille O'Neal to come visit their classroom. And, and he was going to come and visit the classroom. Shaq is coming. That was the message. And this caused, this, as the story went, this caused such a commotion of anticipation and, and quite literally like just freaking, kids freaking out all over the place. Kids are fixing themselves up to look good. They're trying to act cool. They're getting their phones ready to take pictures. They're messaging their family. They're going to meet Shaq, all, all this kind of stuff. Because depending on who's, who's coming, depending on whose name is at the beginning of those three words, that could be life-changing. And probably more and more life-changing as the wealth or the power or the glory or the importance of that person that's coming increases. I believe Shaq wasn't actually coming. It was like an April Fool's joke or something like that. But it's just a great illustration of the way in which our lives ought to be turned upside down when we truly grasp the fact that the one Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, our savior and our king is coming. He's coming. So why is he coming? Why is he coming? Uh, Mark, let's read verse 24 and 25. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Uh, and then jump down to 28. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus is ultimately saying here that essentially the world around us is going to give us signs. Now, I thought probably for a long time uh, that Jesus was determined to give us hints he wanted to give us hints at his coming. He wanted to kind of like prep us for it. And so he had established some secret signals that he was about to come. But I just want to say I was wrong in thinking this way because Jesus is not designing or sort of choreographing his welcome ceremony as if he prefers that his arrival be accompanied by tribulations and deceptions. And he says earlier in the chapter, uh, wars and rumors of wars. Now Jesus knows actually he knows the heart of man. He understands the trajectory of sinful humanity, and he ultimately understands why he's coming in the first place. All this language, all this cosmological language of stars falling and powers in the heavens, this is language drawn very heavily from the Old Testament prophets who wrote exclusively, almost exclusively, I'd say extensively, about coming judgment on Israel because of their inability to trust and obey God. And Jesus is speaking in that same prophetic tradition. So I think we can assume that his tone is primarily one of warning. One of warning. Jesus is coming. Christ is coming to a world that is in chaos. And I think it's actually kind of neat to look back and see that actually the first coming was no different. The first coming was no different. Matthew 2, 16 to 18. You've probably read this as you read the Christmas story over and over every year. It's part of the story that is not in any of the nativity plays, right? None of these, this story is never in the nativity play. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage and he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he'd learned about it from the wise men. Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, the 
through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping, in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. If we ever sing that song again, uh, that Darby led us in, in a land by death or shadowed. Now that last verse starts with mid, mid a world of Rachel's weeping, that this is the world that Christ came into. This is the world that Christ was born into, a world that was so bent on rejecting him that it was willing to massacre and slaughter two-year-old boys and under. That's the world. That's what it took to welcome our king. The second time he comes, the world will not have improved. Aside from growing pockets of faithful disciples of Jesus that are hopefully growing and spreading and becoming the preserving presence in a world that's bent on deception and war and even lying about war. I think that's such a funny kind of like wonderfully concise way of talking about what's wrong with our world. We're either lying, fighting, or lying about fighting. That's basically what it all sums up to. It's into this world that Jesus comes again. And the language again is one of judgment. We anticipate his return, but we do so We ought to do so soberly and urgently because when he comes, he's not coming like a baby. He's going to come like a warrior and he's going to bring justice. So what should we do? Verse 32 says, Now concerning the day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, giving authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. So what do we do? We, we watch. I don't think the point of this, um, this first verse was Jesus trying to create some kerfuffle about what he knows or doesn't know. Although that's a really interesting debate to have and I'm happy to have it sometime. Rather, I think it's ultimately just to highlight that his return is imminent, which is a word that just, it just means it could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment. While he gives us signs to watch for, the exact day, the exact time is unknowable. But what's, so what's the point of all this? Why not just tell us? Here's the day. Why, why would he speak so specifically about what will be happening before, as if he knows, if he has some real wisdom about what it's going to take and when, when, when will be the right time for him to come. But then say, ultimately, I don't actually know precisely when it's going to happen. Nobody does. I think the reason is just because he wants us to truly watch. Watching is not waiting. Watchfulness is active. It's active anticipation. It's not sitting and waiting and just biding your time. It's waiting and preparing. It's watching and anticipating. It's patience. You ever think about what patience is? Patience itself is a kind of, it's a kind of suffering. It's recognizing that something we want, actually the one thing that we want and need and and we live for, we don't have yet. And we're waiting for it. But it could arrive at the door at any moment. And so we suffer that anticipation joyfully, eagerly, soberly, because when he comes, it will be celebration for us but it will be judgment for those who are not ready. Uh, when I was younger, uh, my dad, for Christmas, bought, uh, bought us a Boston Terrier, a little puppy. And we still sit around and laugh about this day 
um, as kids 15, 20 years later. Uh, because my dad was certainly, certainly anticipating that gift more than we were. Uh, of course, we didn't know we were getting it, so it's hard to anticipate it. But he had arranged, he had arranged for my grandma to come by the house at a certain time or around a certain time with a crate and a puppy and, and to knock on the door and surprise us with this dog. And he didn't obviously know precisely what moment it would be. He maybe had an idea. But leading up to it, in hindsight, it's fun to reflect on this, he was nervous. He was talking really fast. And when, we, when the knock came at the door, I mean, he literally bowled over his younger kids to get to the door and bring that puppy inside. And it was the funniest thing. He was so excited. And I think the funniest part is that he yelled out, what could that be? And ran and knocked over one of the kids. He was watching, but he was waiting and he was so hopeful and his anticipation ultimately meant for a moment, at least he was willing to elbow his children out of the way to get what he was waiting for, to receive what it was that he was waiting for. And I, I think again, maybe like the story about Shaq coming, these are just good examples. When we say those words, Jesus is coming and he could come at any moment. It's hard to say, yeah, I believe that and have it have no effect on the way we live. So what should we do? We watch. Are you watching? Are you seeing the signs? Are you, are you looking at the world around us, the deception, the wars that are going on, the, the rumors about wars, the lies about who's starting what? And are you anticipating and are you preparing ultimately for the coming of our King? And you're doing it with hope, but also with soberness. Because these signs are the very things that Jesus is going to judge. He's going to make right. Tim Keller uh, says this. I thought this was really uh, beautiful. So the message of Christianity is things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. And he goes on to say the Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light dawned. Notice it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come from outside. There is a light outside of this world and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is that light. So uh, I'm gonna just close with one more story. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm not one to really put a lot of stock in dreams or things like that. I had a dream one time. Um, uh, we were, Jess and I were fairly newly married, I think maybe a few months in. So this was a very interesting experience for her as well. But I had a dream that I was washing my hands in a, in a bathroom somewhere. I think it was a public restroom or something, I assumed it was. I was washing my hands, uh, going through the routine, nothing, nothing crazy. And then I uh, opened the door out, out of the bathroom, and I was, there's a long hallway. <clears throat> and I just started walking down the hall. It was like a really, I mean, it was a really long hallway, and, and there was, in the middle of it, or like quite a ways down, there was a window um, letting light in. And I, I just started walking down the hallway, and I start, I like to hear something. I was like, I hear some, there's like some music or something like that, or there's some, some shouting going, I don't know what's going on. I can hear something. And I, I just keep walking, and as I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the window, it's, it's sounding a little more, there's a little more music to it. Like it, it's coming together. I'm starting to decipher a little bit what it is. And then the, the climax of the dream um, was turning and looking out the window. And I, I don't know that this moment lasted longer than a, a second or two. 
But in that second, the realization that what I was hearing was trumpets. And what I was seeing was a sunset. Like, I'd, you, just, I'd ne you never had seen. It was like layers upon layers. Because it was, the, and the, the colors just kept getting more and more intense. And there was layers of clouds that were kind of breaking it up. Um, and, but at the same time, then I also realized that those aren't, cloud, those aren't clouds. Those are, I mean, they're kind of clouds, but they're clusters of people. There's, there's clouds of people in the sky. And uh, <laughs> I, I, for that two seconds, I thought that Jesus had come back, that it was, that it was time. And I, can't, I don't know how to describe how, like my, I thought my chest was gonna explode. For just a second, like you, you kind of like rear back and I, I, unfortunately I woke up before like anything happened because I, I don't know if I would have yelled or like fainted, but I, I felt like my chest was like, it was like the, and it was, it was, I have to add too, like it was, it was that like a Rolodex of things that I don't have to fear or stress about or nothing. Like it was like a, you know, like you have that moment, like a, um, you see in the movies, like your life flashed before your eyes. It wasn't like your life necessarily. It was just like, Here's all the stuff. It's just gone. I don't have, it's all over. Like it, it's here. We're done. We did it. You know, um, and I and I do. It was like whatever that pressure was. It felt like my chest was about to explode, um, and then I woke up, and I'm sweating, and I'm breathing really heavily, <laughs> and and Jess is like, "What the heck are you doing right now?" <laughs> uh, and then I cried. I cried for so I cried for a long time because the the, the realization that it wasn't was almost too much uh, to take, um, and I don't know. So these are um, like I said, I don't put stock in these. Like nowadays, every time I'm in a bathroom, I'm always like peeking out the door, like, "Hey, this is it." Uh, I I don't mean that, um, but I I take it as a gift. I think I don't. I don't think that I get those. I'm not trying to interpret them like they're I'm supposed to decipher anything from them other than, other than the hope that, that someday I'm going to feel the end of that. Like someday, someday I'm going to finish that, that dream. Like it, it is going to happen, however that looks, wherever I am, uh, and that my chest can explode and I'm sure I'll be fine. Got to put it back together or something. Um, but in a way, like I pray, yeah, I pray that my wife, I pray that my kids have something like that. And, and, and yes, this was before I preached that deathbed sermon, probably a year or two before that. But that's what, it was obvious when he asked me what I was going to preach, that's what I was going to do. Um, but Jesus is coming. And it's, it's I think it's going to be like that. We're going to realize Jesus is here. And it's going to be awesome. And, and so Advent needs to be needs to be more about that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do the stuff that we do uh, around the season, uh, but it should definitely provoke us to remember that when he comes a second time, that's it. That's it. It's going to be awesome. So watch and prepare and be ready. In this season, encourage your kids to do it, right? Talk about these stories about the arrival of baby Jesus and, and say, you know, we're also we're waiting for Jesus right now. We're waiting for a second Christmas. We're waiting for a second final Christmas when he'll come and he'll, we'll be with him forever, like it said in Thessalonians. Okay? Let's pray.